back to the Agent Survival Guide podcast. You're listening to the Friday Five, our list of five things that happened this week that you should know about. I'm your host, Sarah Rupel, and happy Friday to you. We're about to kick off a very bittersweet weekend, the last official weekend of summer vacation, because around my neck of the woods, school starts on Monday. The past few weeks, We've been picking up sneakers, hoodies, glue sticks, and more, and believe it or not, I failed in my attempt to convince my daughter that she needed a trapper keeper. Zero percent interested in owning one or helping me live vicariously through her. And even though I had one in my cart for the majority of last week's Walmart run, it did end up going back on the shelf. All things considered, I think we're ready for the school year to start again and have more of a regimented schedule to our days. And when I say our, I'm pretty sure I mean just me right now. She will get there. So starting out with our list this week, really in no particular order. Number one, Dr. Anthony Fauci, the face of America's pandemic response, has announced that he's retiring from public service this December. Looking back on his career, Fauci joined the National Institutes of Health as a 27-year-old in 1968 and went on to become the head of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases in the mid-80s. He has served seven presidents and has been there for all of the health crises during that time. AIDS, anthrax, Ebola, Zika, SARS, all of them up until the current coronavirus pandemic. And public service is a very important denotation there in his quote-unquote retirement because he's not completely retiring. He does have plans to pass along his knowledge to the next generation. And I have to say, I would be interested in reading his memoir should he choose to write one. Number two, a recent study found some telling but not so surprising conclusions about consumer satisfaction with healthcare coverage. They're frustrated with coverage and the cost to get it, and they're partially blaming the government. Interestingly enough, 87% of Americans felt that politicians were not focusing on the public's health care needs. And when given the choice of focusing on overall health care coverage costs, like copays, deductibles, premiums, of Americans would like Congress to focus on those costs, as opposed to 29% who would rather Congress deal with prescription drug pricing. There are quite a few telling statistics in the survey as well, but I'm just highlighting a few here, like how 43%, or 2 in 5 Americans, report that they had difficulty understanding or navigating their health insurance. The most important issue, front and center, first page of the survey, 23% of Americans are concerned about inflation and the rising cost of goods. We will be linking to the study and a few write-ups in the notes, but what is the takeaway here? Well, to start, 
Take the time to educate your clients on their plan, what it covers, what they're going to pay, what the plan will pay, how all of that works. We cannot state that enough. These stats are evidence that there is a gap in knowledge and you can help to bridge that. Second, make sure you're checking in with your clients, this annual enrollment period especially. It's been a year, on top of a year, and you need to check in and see how things are going for your clients. If you're feeling the pinch of inflation and the rising cost of just about everything, your clients are likely feeling it too. You can help to ease a portion of those fears by helping them to switch their plan if that's what they need to do, or simply provide a few quotes that show they're still in the best plan for them. And they will appreciate that you took the time to do that. And lastly, we say this all the time, to make sure you're staying current with the latest news and legislation. Especially right now with the changes coming to Medicare, the updates to the ACA subsidies. Those are two items that you will want to know about and be able to answer questions that your clients may have about them. Number three. We are counting down the weeks to annual enrollment. We're almost at the seven-week mark. This is the point when you should be in high gear, getting certifications completed, reading through plan materials, and going through your book to determine who needs a plan review this year. Long story short, there's a lot to do, and sometimes we need a little help figuring out how to best manage our time. Because odds are, your schedule looks a little different right now than it does during the rest of the year. One thing I like to start out with, making a list of what I need to accomplish and then thinking about my goals. How do I prioritize based on those goals? When you think in terms of what needs to be done alongside what you'd like to accomplish, prioritizing becomes much easier, at least in my experience. Next up, one that I have learned and leaned on so heavily as I have gotten more experienced, make sure you're getting sleep and getting enough sleep. Without a proper night's rest, I am not 100%. A bad night's sleep throws everything out of whack, and there's just too much else that could happen not to plan on getting a good night's rest. It's okay to get a good night's sleep. It's okay if you need eight hours. It's even okay if you need a little more or a little less. But when I say less, I'm thinking like seven, seven and a half hours, not like six or less. You'll feel better with a full night's sleep. And if you're traveling or just generally have some trouble falling asleep, You should check out our Agent Apps episode on white noise apps that can help with that. I've also found great success with Sayana Sleep and the podcast Nothing Much Happens. Last but certainly not least, and we'll be linking to an article as well as all the sleep resources I just mentioned, going digital with your calendars and taking advantage of the notifications. You can block out chunks of time on your calendar, use notifications and alerts, color code your appointments and tasks, and those are just two examples of how going digital can help you keep track of what's important. 
Number four, super short mention here. Apple has indeed confirmed an event on September 7th. They've tagged it far out, and the imagery for the event shows stars in a nighttime sky converging to create the Apple logo. For this event, Apple is expected to unveil the iPhone 14 and the Apple Watch 8. In true Apple fashion, now that we've got a design for the event, fans are theorizing on how the stars will align and what new feature the imagery is hinting at. Will it be a new telephoto lens, satellite connectivity, and always-on display for the Pro and Pro Max models? We've got another week and a half of speculation time, and the countdown to iPhone 14 feels like it's officially begun, even if we don't yet know when that countdown ends. Number five, this next one, Tina sent it over last week, and it just didn't fit for last week's episode, but I could not stop thinking about it. And I have continued seeing article after article about the viral trend that is quiet quitting. And first off, I really think it needs a different name. Or maybe it's hard to give a name to a practice that has so much nuance behind it. So let me explain. The concept of quiet quitting took off through TikTok, as viral trends do, and it's been defined as not doing more than what your job description calls for, not working beyond the hours you were hired to work. So for most full-time workers, 40 hours. Not staying longer than the end of your shift. So if you're done at 5, logging off at 5. That's one take. Another I've seen, and a more generalized definition, setting healthy boundaries between work time and home life not letting your job take over your life. And then there's the take that quiet quitting is a response to disengagement in the workplace. Of course, there's also the take that quiet quitting is a bad idea, that there's value in going above and beyond, that by quiet quitting, you might be jeopardizing your future. As I said, There's a bit of nuance to the concept of quiet quitting. I've experienced more than one of the situations I just described to you in my time working. And yes, more than one thing can be true at the same time. At the moment, I would have to put myself in the camp of quiet quitting is a mix of a response to disengagement in the workplace and setting healthy boundaries between work and life. I will also put it out there that I think it depends on your unique situation if it's a good idea or a bad idea. So let me start with the first example. At my internship with a local TV station, I was an intern in the newsroom, but I begged and stayed after hours to help with other aspects of production anytime I could. And that was taxing. My internship was six credits, so double the time and credit of a normal internship. I worked full-time, and I attended classes. That semester, I did not have a day off. There was one of those three things or a mix of them every day. 
but I knew that the opportunity to learn was important. The broadcast industry is so competitive, and chances like my internship don't often come along with the opportunities I was able to get. But I got those opportunities because I wanted to soak up that knowledge that I knew I wasn't going to get anywhere else and be able to put it on my resume with the hope that it would catch someone's eye. And it did when I got my job at our local radio station, the job I had before I came to Ritter. They saw that I had worked in the industry, knew a thing or two about deadlines, writing for a certain time frame, writing scripts in general, and they liked that I worked full-time while I went to school. So those are the good sides of the story. And of course, there's always another side to balance that out. I worked in radio for a long time during the recession, and I had started out as a writer and production coordinator, but I was itching to get behind the mic. Hard to believe, huh? So what did I do? Definitely said that I would be willing to take on voiceover work when a female colleague left, and wouldn't that be convenient because they needed a female voice, and I was already there. So I took on that work to gain experience, and I did it for free. I willingly volunteered to do that because it got me one step closer to the next thing. But I can't lie when I say that I came to regret that decision. My above and beyond became expected, not rewarded, and that, I think, is part of the difference. The engagement just wasn't there. I wasn't learning anything new. I wasn't being challenged. So I sought out another opportunity. Was I completely disengaged when I left? I think so. And I don't know that it was right or wrong, but at the time and with where my head was at, moving on became the solution. And it seems to be the solution that many workers featured in articles about quiet quitting also come to. So, Where does that leave us? Well, I would suggest reading the articles in the notes and understanding that there are many facets and points of view to this behavior. And there are many conflicting examples that I can empathize with. But rather than turning quiet quitting into a war between generations about work ethics and entitlement, let's look at the person and the individual situation, and like so many other viral conflicts or surmisals of conflicts, not every issue comes down to an either-or. There's not always a binary solution. There's gray area. There's nuance. We are all human. The best advice I can give you on this subject is to realize that, communicate, and talk it out and be kind to each other while you do. Rupel recommends. It's the last Friday of the month, and that means we have streaming picks for September. And there are so many good shows and movies coming to streaming. I suppose first and foremost, I should mention that House of the Dragon premiered last Sunday, and there will continue to be new episodes of that. 
I haven't watched it or Game of Thrones, but I did read some reviews that suggested that the looser source material was beneficial to House of the Dragon, seeming more like its own entity rather than a retelling of the books in cinematic form. Similarly, our first pick could say much of the same. September 2nd, The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power debuts on Amazon Prime, and that I will be tuning into. There's a lack of source material here as well, with small references and bits of the story mixed into the larger narrative. But The Rings of Power could be seen as the prequel Tolkien never wrote. Also, the show creators only had rights to the Lord of the Rings trilogy and The Hobbit, so it'll be interesting to see how they choose to fill in the gaps. Also debuting on September 2nd, another book adaptation, this one my daughter and I are very excited about, three Ivy and Bean movies will debut on Netflix. Ivy and Bean is a book series that we've read through a few times, and it features two little girls who are complete opposites, but also the best of friends and their adventures together. Now, I suppose we'll continue in chronological order. Next pick, September 8th, Thor Love and Thunder comes to Disney+, and I am here for Natalie Portman's return to the series and her turn as Lady Thor. September 12th, another pick for the kiddos, Season 3 of Ada Twist, Scientist. The series explores STEM-related questions that only Ada and her friends can answer. Great for curious kiddos who like knowing how things work or came to be. So, origin stories, if you will. September 14th, Season 5 of The Handmaiden's Tale premieres on Hulu, and it's a two-episode premiere. Love it when shows do that. September 22nd, also premiering on Hulu, Season 2 of Abbott Elementary, the critically and culturally acclaimed mockumentary following teachers at an elementary school in Philadelphia. Finally, and perhaps the most exciting of all, on September 30th, Disney Plus, the premiere of Hocus Pocus 2, which brings back the Sanderson sisters for another night of calamity. The first movie has come to be a cult classic of sorts, and fans have long campaigned for a sequel to the original. And with my streaming picks for the month of September, that is all we've got for this episode. I hope you have a great weekend. Stay healthy and stay safe out there, and we will see you next week. The Agent Survival Guide podcast is a production of Ritter Insurance Marketing. This episode was written and produced by me, Sarah Rupel. Script editing by Tina Lamaru. Artwork by Vivian Zhao. 